Here's the question. Are you ready to study God's word today? Okay, so as a sign of that, go ahead and get your Bible or if you want to get out your phone and look uh, up 1 John chapter 4. We're going to spend a lot of time in the book of 1 John today and read through a passage again and again and again. But before we do, before we really dive into this, and we're going to break this passage apart, and I love it, I love it, I love it. But uh, first of all, to, to set the subject for today, let me tell you about our son, Seth. Uh, Seth is 18 years old now, and when he was three years old, 15 years ago, he dearly, passionately loved a Christian cartoon called Veggie Tales. Anybody know Veggie Tales? Oh yeah, good stuff. And so, Tracy made for him that Christmas a quilt, a handmade blanket with Bob and Larry from Veggie Tales on it. I think you will enjoy seeing his response. Check this out. You gonna open another present now? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're gonna open the big one. Who's it from? It's from mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy. Okay. It's from you guys. Yeah. I think it's a new pair of socks. No. <laughs> Something. I think it is a car. No. Seth, what is it? What kind of blanket? It's a wind. Do you like do you like blankets? Yeah, I want any particular type of blanket? I wanted that. Hey, look at it. Don't move. What is it? It's a veggie tail blanket. Do you think who made it for you? You guys. Oh, it's Bob and Larry. That's what it's for. I just wanted a blankie like that. I just wanted a blankie blankie. I just wanted it. Isn't that great? See, Tracy showed her great love for Seth with a gift. And God showed his great love for us with this. 1 John chapter 4 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This was the greatest gift of Christmas, that love came down to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we're going to talk about what that means 
today. But one of the questions that some people wonder about is, what's the big deal with Christmas? Why do we make such a big deal about this baby in a manger 2,000 years ago? Why do we have all the songs and carols? Why do we have all of the food and lights and presents? And I think it all comes down to the value of a gift. The value of a gift. Now, whether you realize it or not, when someone gives you a present inside, now you don't verbalize this, it's not polite to say it, but inside you do some calculations to evaluate whether this was a good gift or not. And Mark Mitchell says that there are three criteria that we use, three questions that we ask to evaluate a gift. And the first is, what was the motive for this gift? Because don't you know there are some gifts that are given with bad motive? In fact, some gifts are given out of obligation, and some gifts are even given for the sake of manipulation. Have you ever tried to buy a new car? Tracy and I only have only done that once, a brand new car right off the showroom floor. Well, there is a sales trick that some salespeople use, and if you've ever tried to negotiate with a salesperson to buy a new car, you're sitting there, you're negotiating the deal, you have in your mind the price that you feel like you should pay, the absolute most that you want to be able to pay. And so uh, they're just not getting to your number. And so you say what any good negotiator will say, well, you know, if you can't do it for this number, then I am going to have to get up and walk away, right? That is the tool for, for strong negotiation is you have to be willing to get up and walk away. And as you're ready to get up and walk away, the, the salesperson says, oh, no, 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 don't leave. Let me go back to my manager and ask one more time to see if I can get a better price. And so, so he gets up and, and says, hey, by the way, can I get you a drink or something? And pulls some change out of his pocket and goes to the vending machine and, and, and buys you something. And then he comes back from talking to the manager and he, and he, and he sets down the can of Coke or Sprite and, and a, a Snickers bar to, to get you in the mood, you know, in case you're hangry. And... Uh, and so, so as you, as you pop open that can and, and take a bite of the candy bar and then, then slides the number across the desk and says, look, this is, this is the best that we can do today. And you look at the number and it's still not what you hope it would be. It's still more than you wanted it to pay, but you figure, well... You know, this is probably the best deal that I'm going to get. And so you go ahead, you take the deal, you sign the papers, you get in your brand new car and drive away. Now, psychologists and studies show that it is possible that you may have paid $30,000 for a car because a salesperson gave you a $3 Coke and a candy bar. It's called subconscious obligation triggers. Obligation triggers. Here's how an obligation trigger works. That when someone gives you something, our society has, has programmed you to believe that when someone gives you something, that you are supposed to what? Give something back. 
It's subconscious, but we're programmed that way. And so if they can, they can give you even just a can of Coke, <laughs> then you feel obligated subconsciously, that obligation trigger to give a little something back. And so, so negotiators say, don't take the gift until after you close the deal. <laughs> there was another study done by, uh, by a, a group that they sent out surveys to physicians. And in the mail, the, the doctor would open up the envelope, and there was the survey to be completed and sent back. But there was also a gift to thank you, uh, to thank the doctor for their time of, of $20, a check for $20 to, to thank them for participating in the survey. A second group of doctors, they sent out the very same survey in the very same envelope, but this time it said, if you will fill out the survey and return it, then we will send you $20 as a thank you. So which group of doctors do you think completed the surveys more? Was it the doctors who opened it up and there was a check for $20 in the survey? Or was it the doctors who said, who, who it said, if you will fill it out, then afterwards we will send you $20. Which was it? Of course, it was the first group. It was the doctors who opened it up and there was the $20 before they had even done anything. Because it's an obligation trigger. That, that they felt like because they already had the money, they needed to give something back. And so because of that, because of the way that our society thinks of gifts, that we have this, this tendency to be suspicious. And we wonder, you know, why did this person give me that? What was, what was their real reason? Just be nice? No, it has to be more than that. There is a difference, isn't there, between a gift of love and a gift to manipulate. And I think that's why we love receiving gifts from children. I mean, Really, what is there to be excited about some little handmade craft or ornament that's the ugliest thing you ever saw, <laughs> and yet we're like, oh, it's so sweet. Why? It's because we know that that child gave us the gift with no ulterior motive. It was out of love. And that just makes us feel so good because, listen, motive matters, doesn't it? Motive matters. And so what was the motive of God's gift? 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son that, that we might live through him. That was his motive. It was for our benefit. Max Lucado says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. <laughs> if he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk to him, he will listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift that he sent to you in Bethlehem, face it, friend, he is crazy about you. See, that is why Jesus came down, love came down at Christmas. 
Now, another question that we use to evaluate a gift is, is cost. What was the cost of this gift? Now, I, I know it's rude to admit that we value gifts that way, but because, you know, it, how does it feel if someone opens up a present and you're not supposed to do this, right? You pull it out of the box and say, oh, well, how much did you pay for this? <laughs> because when we buy a present for someone, what's the first thing we do? We take off the the price tag, unless it's really, really expensive and you want them to know how much you paid. It, 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 let's be honest, women, would you rather your husband shop for you at the jewelry store or at the dollar store? And so, listen to this. It, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Remember that the New Testament was written in what language? It was written in, in Greek. And, and here where it says he made himself nothing, the Greek word for made himself nothing used here is kenosis. It comes from the idea of the verb to empty. To empty yourself. He emptied himself for us. In other words, Jesus, the Son of God, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, exalted above every other created thing, holy and perfect, all-powerful and omnipotent, all-knowing, omniscient, and omnipresent, the creator of the universe, almighty and everlasting, King of heaven and King of earth, that he emptied himself, he made himself nothing, for you, for you. Why? Because Jesus in becoming human limited himself because, think about this for a second. If you were to limit yourself in that way, Think about if you were to shrink yourself down to become less than a little ant, less than an insect crawling in the dirt. Jesus limited himself, why? Because of his great love. Parce l'amour change too. Amen? Parce l'amour, it was to rescue us from our sin. He came and entered into our experience that he would know our suffering firsthand and pay the price so that we can be set free. In 1940, Witold Pilecki, a Polish army captain, emptied himself. He emptied himself. Here's what he did. The Polish army needed intelligence, they needed uh, behind-the-scenes information on what the Nazi army was doing. And so, Witold Pilecki chose to allow himself to be captured and sent to Auschwitz. 
Auschwitz was the largest concentration camp uh, run by Germany from 1940 to 1945. In those years at Auschwitz, over a million Jews lost their life. A million were murdered at Auschwitz. And so Pilecki allowed himself to be caught. Why? This committed Christian, this follower of Jesus Christ, because of his love for God and his love for others, he allowed himself to be caught and sent to Auschwitz. And there he entered into their experience. By choice, he became just like every other prisoner. Like him, them, he was beaten and bruised, despised and rejected and subject to the danger of death. He entered into their suffering so that he could share in their experience and ultimately set them free. Doesn't that sound a lot like Jesus? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7 again, being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That word kenosis. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It cost him everything. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than Jesus because there is no greater gift than Je what Jesus gave, the gift of his own life, the cost of his own life for you and for me. There's another question that we use to evaluate a gift. What is the practical use of this gift? Have you ever received a gift that had no practical use? You, you, some of you are like, oh, you, yeah. And uh, we could just have you share some stories, couldn't you, of opening up a present and pulling it out of the box and saying, oh, it's just what I always never wanted. <laughs> Reader's Digest asks people to write in and tell about the worst gifts that they've ever re received. One person said, my husband once bought me an iron and an ironing board for Christmas. She said, he is now my ex-husband. <laughs> I, I once received, someone said, I once received a book on Chinese culture. The pictures were beautiful, but it was written in Mandarin. Uh, one person said they received a one-year subscription to Weight Watchers. Ooh, I hope that was not their spouse. Someone received a Walmart gift card for $10. There was 53 cents left on the card. Someone said every year, my mother-in-law gives me chocolate and alcohol. I'm diabetic and I don't drink. <laughs> now this one was from back in the day, so we'll, you need a little cultural interpretation 
for the younger folks, that we used to have these things called video rental stores. You remember the video rental store? And so he says, my aunt rented a movie from the video store and gave it to me as a gift. I opened it and she said, by the way, it's due back Wednesday at 11 p.m. That's my favorite. That's just being efficient, because I only watch a movie once anyway, so if you want to rent me a movie, that's, that's fine. Those are gifts that had no practical value, but 1 John 4, 9, and 10, we're reading it again and again today. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his own one and only son into the world that we might live through him. What practical benefit that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then John, the author, continues with this idea into the next chapter. And he says in 1 John 5, 11, he explains more about this gift. He says, here's why. God has given us eternal life and this eternal life is in his son. He who has the son has life. But he who does not have the son of God does not have life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants to give you a life that is more than just struggling to survive. Jesus wants to give you a life that is more than what this world promises, because we all know that this world promises a lot, but delivers very little. But Jesus promises a life of, of purpose and hope, a life of meaning and great value. One of the most famous Christmas songs today was actually written as an advertising gimmick. In 1939, a department store in the United States called Montgomery Ward, and by the way, I lived in for 10 years close to, not in, but close to Montgomery, Alabama. That's how it's pronounced, just in case you're wondering. It's not Montgomery, it's Montgomery, okay? Just want to make sure we get that clear. Montgomery Ward department store contracted in 1939 with advertising executive Robert L. May to write a poem. The purpose of the poem was to give to children when they would come to sit and get their pictures taken on Santa's lap. And so from 1939 over the next seven years, Montgomery Ward gave out six million copies of this little poem. Well, ten years later in 1949, this advertising executive, Robert May's brother-in-law, put music to the poem and turned it into a song. Bing Crosby was invited to record the song, and he declined the offer. And so the great singing cowboy, Gene Autry, recorded this little department store poem, and it became one of the most profitable Christmas songs ever written. I wonder if you've heard it. It goes like this. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very... And if you ever saw it, 
Oh, you can do better. All of the other reindeer. Wait, wait, wait. They, they used to do what? They used to laugh and call him names. That story, I think what grips us about the story of Rudolph is that we all know what it's like to be left out, to be rejected, to feel different, to have people call you names. It is a story of ridicule and rejection. But then, one foggy evening, Santa Claus comes and says, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, I have a meaning and a purpose for your life. And he says, listen, I don't care what all the other reindeer used to do and how they used to call you names, but if you will allow me to give you this purpose, your life will become something of great meaning and value, a life of great beauty, even in the midst of what others consider a weakness. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Listen, God looks at you in your weakness and in your frailty and the very things that you are embarrassed about, the very things that other people look at you and despise you and reject you and neglect you and call you names. Jesus says, look, I have a meaning and a purpose for your life. And if on this day you will turn your life towards me and surrender and submit to me, I will take this life that the world has said is meaningless and I will give you value and turn you into something of great beauty. <clears throat> Loved by the Father. And so one more time, we've read this again and again, but this time, let's read it out loud together. And I want, I want these words to seep into your bones. Let it absorb into your spirit. This, let's read it together out loud. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it continues in chapter 5. Let's read together. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And so here you see a question. This, this, this part gives to us a question that is basically this. The greatest gift of Christmas is Jesus. But the greatest question of Christmas is will you receive him? Will you truly surrender and submit to his plan for your life? Because when you receive the Son, you receive new life, abundant life, eternal life. 
Would you stand? together, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are here today, that you were here yesterday and you will be here tomorrow, because since the very beginning of time, we were on your mind, that you loved us so much and demonstrated this love for us in making the way for our salvation, for our forgiveness, in Jesus who would come and die on the cross to pay the price for our sins, to pay the penalty, the punishment that we deserved. And so if you are here today and you have never surrendered to him, anyone in this room, or maybe you already are what you would call a Christian but maybe the fact of the matter is today, you know that there are some things that are not surrendered to him. You know right now that there are areas of your life that are, di are displeasing to God. That like Rudolph, <laughs> you are not yet fully hooked up to his harness. See, that's a very biblical metaphor, whether you realized it or not. Because Jesus said that his yoke, in other words, his reins, when you hook up to his sleigh, <laughs> the Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, which does not mean that your life will be easy when you surrender to him, but it does mean that you know that your brother, your savior, Jesus, comes up into the yoke with you to pull the rein, to pull the weight, that you no longer have to do it on your own if you will surrender to him. And so right now in your heart, would you pray and surrender yourself to him and say, Heavenly Father, thank you for what Jesus did. I believe that he died on the cross for me. And I receive his forgiveness. I give my life to you. Come in and take control. Everything I have and everything I am is yours. You gave me the greatest gift and so I now give myself to you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Listen, we're going to sing this song together. And as we do, don't go anywhere. The best is yet to come. At the end, if, if, if God has been speaking to you today, there's an opportunity for you. Let's sing it together. Who are we that he would treat us like this?